0: Christmas light, L-I-T-E, which is not really a light light, but it's a kind of light. And think how many products that you know, kind of um, those things you consume that are food that are that are light products. There's just a number of them. The FDA and USDA actually regulates this food product um, label and, and attaches light. Only to those kind of products that guarantee the food will be a third fewer in calories or 50% less in fat or 50% less in sodium. So if you see L-I-T-E on it, you should be expecting less. One savvy marketing firm says, check out this growing array of light foods that let you sin in peace. There's light Twinkies. Well, yeah, yeah. There's, I guess, light Klondike bars, microwave buttered popcorn light, mac and cheese light, salad dressing light, light beer, light almost anything. The list is endless. In fact, there's a number of healthy foods that are light as well. But it just merely means that there's reduced calories and fat and sodium basically kind of taking out some of the stuff that isn't really as good for you at the levels that we eat today. And I got thinking about it with regard to the whole lights of Christmas and, and looking at these different ideas of lights as if you see it appear in the gospel narratives around the birth narrative, even in the Old Testament, there's those alludes, it alludes to the light. I got thinking, what would Christmas light look like for you? What would it look like for me if we attached the label this year to our Christmas and said, let's make it Christmas light? Imagine a simpler, quieter, and more manageable Christmas. Do you think it's possible to reduce the stress, the anxiety, and fear by 50%? Okay, we're kidding ourselves. Maybe by 20%. Or maybe even just a little. What would it look like to live in the light and be the light to the world around us? Allowing the presence of God into the midst of our Christmas. How do you do it? Well, you know what? If you look back in scripture, the very first Christmas, you will find that um, it was filled with stress for a poor blue-collar construction worker Named Joseph. He entered into the Christmas season. And stepped at it with all kinds of fear and stress. I had you stand a moment ago. But I'm going to have you stand again as I read the word of God. Okay. So just so you don't get too settled in and too quiet. But just listen to the word of God. And then at a certain point it will become bold. And that's when I'm going to ask you to read that word with me. And then I'll finish it. When we get to about verse 22. So I will read this first part. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And let us read this together. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will concede, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Thanks, you may be seated. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment, just or maybe his sandals, it'd be better to say it that way. Just put yourself in his sandals, and, and what, what might have caused him stress in that time when Mary came up to him? What's, that, what's the first thing you think of, if you were to hear that message, what emotion, what feeling hits you? You see, I can imagine it could be that he felt anger. Anger at Mary. It could be shock at the news. Despair as his life plans begin to cream out of control. Could be stress. How do I handle this? What do I do? Probably the gamut of emotions were running through him from that moment he heard. He was probably confused. He maybe felt rejected. Maybe went numb. Could feel overwhelmed even in that. Lonely, isn't that How lonely he may have felt. Trapped, hopeless. Probably all those kind of Christmas feelings you may feel at times this Christmas season. You may you may yourself feel it when kind of life heads south when you were planning something or you're you're all of a sudden coming along and you have a hard left turn that you hadn't planned on. In a relationship, or maybe that something happens at work, or maybe in your school situation, you didn't get the grades you wanted. Whatever it is, how do you handle the reaction when it comes? What would Christmas light look like for you? What would it mean to others around you? Joseph did three things that I think helped him deal with the stress and the fear and the situation that he was in. And it's really going to be a simple message. I'm going to share some simple thoughts. But one of the things that's really true is he looked at this situation, and he began to, as he processed this motion, he turned to God. He just turned to God, and then he began to talk to God. And then, as he talked to God, and as God began to to work in his life, he began to trust God through obedience. Those are three simple steps that he takes. It, it, it's kind of like when uh, when you come to that situation and you you face something in this Christmas holiday. And it's where do I turn? Am I willing to get plugged in? Am I actually willing to start to talk to God so you kind of there's some communication? You know, that's where the power begins to move through it. But there's even more than that. It's trust. As God begins to communicate to you, will you trust through obedience? You ever had one of those situations where you have a light in this lamp and you turn it on and it goes on for a second and it flickers out? And then you kind of move it just a little bit and it goes back on? And and then it moves and it goes out and you begin to start hunting it down and you find that the cord itself kind of has like a short in it and it's really kind of frustrating and so you kind of try and position it so it doesn't move, so it's just right, so that that it's communicating and, and the power is going through and the light stays on. There is a sense when I, talk, you know, I think about this idea of talking to God, and just turning to God, talking to God, and then trusting through obedience. Um, it is this process where what happens in our life is when fear and stress comes in our life. It's like that short that takes place. And fear and stress moves you to your natural responses and reactions and to begin to, in a sense, get disconnected from God and his wisdom and his love. And when that happens, you begin to react and you don't have his love and power and you begin to disconnect from others. And you know what's really interesting as you go into this season, there's going to be all kinds of times where there's going to be opportunities where because we just short out at times because of the kind of things that come into our life. You're going to have stress, you're going to have news maybe you don't want to hear, you're going to have plans changed that you didn't want to have changed, someone may get ill, you name it, things are going to happen, right? And then how do you handle it? Well, Joseph shows us how he handles it. If you look at his life, and you look at these first few verses in chapter 1, we're actually told that this is how the birth of Jesus came about, and instead of focusing on Mary, they focus on Joseph. Because Matthew is writing from a perspective to the Jews himself, so he's gonna start right away with the, 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 the father and the husband's kind of line. And, and he says all these things seem to, if you look at his it, life, seem to be going well. Life is good for Joseph. He's kind of sailing along. There's a growing business. He's probably making a good name for himself. And to top it off, he's about to be married who knows whether it's with less than a year or whatever, but he was in this pledge-to-be-married place to the cutest, sweetest, and kindest young girl in the city. Not a country club kind of kid, but a a respectable, hardworking, probably blue-collar family. And then verse 18 tells us, Mary's pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together. And she um, has to come to him. In this pledged state. To be pledged in it was to be engaged. But it's not like our modern engagement. It was far more binding in that day than it is today. In fact, you can tell the bindingness of it even in scripture itself. Because as you read in the scripture, it, it talks about the fact that he it calls Joseph her husband. And he's trying to process what to do because he's going to divorce her. Those are the kind of words that we don't use for engagement, right? We break an engagement today. But engagement then was a much larger, much more important act because what was happening then, it wasn't two kids falling in love and then kind of making, and then the parents all come along. It's parents coming together, looking at families and going, I think this one would be good for our kid. And and now it's it's an arrangement of not just two people together, but families and and how their their lives are going to intermingle. It's an economic, it's a social, it's a political, all these kind of things are involved in it. So it's a big deal. So when you're pledged to be married, that's just the kind of the starting point, and then it's consummated at a certain point. But what you find here, it's interesting, um, Deuteronomy twenty-two twenty-four kind of shows us in the Old Testament these words of husband and wife used to an um, engaged person. It says in, in Deuteronomy twenty-two twenty-four, it says, if a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married, and he sleeps with her, this is what Deuteronomy says, the man has violated another man's wife. That's how important this period was. So they are pledged to be married. Life's good for Joseph. All is calm, all is bright. Until that day, Mary walks up to him. And we don't know the whole conversation, but I'm sure it was a rather long and involved one. I You would you'd like that recorded transmission. It would be nice to have, but we don't. So let me just kind of cut to the chase and tell you what she says. She basically says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. You won't believe it? An angel came to me and told me, That I was going to be pregnant. I was going to actually conceive by the the Holy Spirit. What do you think Joseph's thinking? (laughs) The idea, it says in Scripture, that she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit and and before they came together she was found to be with child those kind of words that we find in this passage of scripture more than likely means that Mary waited at least a month in my opinion to come to Joseph I I don't know if she came right away you know Joseph I I think she waited a month she comes to him and she shares Joseph I really am pregnant what I want you to, to kind of note in this passage of Scripture, though, is in verse 18, you'll find that Matthew's insistence on the fact that she was a virgin is really important to, to all of Scripture, I mean, with modern theology and, and, and the way that we look at life, and people go, oh, it doesn't matter, she's a virgin born. In Scripture, it really does, and theologically it does. Because in verse 18, it says, before they came together. They want to make sure this is clear. Verse 20, don't be afraid to take her home to be your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And again, in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child. And finally again in verse 25, just to kind of hammer it home, it starts with it, it ends with it. Joseph takes Mary home as his wife, but had no union, did not consummate that relationship until she gave birth to a son. Because according to scripture, Jesus was the divine, from the divine seed of God, the father himself. He was both God and man. That's important theologically. Jesus was without sin. But life is good, all's well. Until that moment, There's he's going along and now there's fear and there's stress, there's confusion, there's anger. It's probably what you may experience at some point in the next 20 to 30 days. And what is interesting is we don't know how Joseph reacted to Mary. But it doesn't appear, at least we don't see in scripture, that he blamed and shamed her. We don't see any evidence that he becomes angry and abusive with even his language emotionally to her. There's no mention that he was hurt and moved into self-pity. And my guess is he did react in some way. We're just not told. Probably internally. Maybe he was a man not of a lot of words. Or maybe he was a person who emotionally expressed some things. But what we do know from the word of God is that he turned to God. And you may be in a situation right now. And you're going, I don't have to wait for it to happen. Already it's happening in my life. I'm feeling overwhelmed. The, the circumstances have come into my life. And you may be in a situation where you've never, ever turned to God. And never even, in a sense, plugged into God. And as I'm, I'm talking to you right now, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, listen, with what you're facing right now, bring it to me. Just turn to me. If you're anything like myself I you know and I'm a pastor so I should get this stuff right right I I will have reactions and I'll kind of go God help but I'll start talking to other people anybody do that the bulk I think of what Joseph would you see in here is he wasn't running around other people in fact I don't think he even could in this situation he just said God he just turned to God And I wonder if he didn't know God's word, because his emotional reaction seems to show, which is very human, I'm sure he's having this reaction, and I'm sure he knows, because he was, in that day, uh, they didn't carry little Bibles around they didn't have on their iPhone, you know, or whatever phone you got, Galaxy, whatever. They didn't have little, you know, like some of you tell me right now that you're looking at your your Bible on your phone, Uh, yeah, right? Anyway... Psalm 4-4 was one he probably knew because it's quoted again by Paul in Ephesians. It says, in your anger, do not sin. So this human emotion, this reaction that you have to things that come, whether you feel self-pity, whatever your natural response is, it's your natural response, not connected to the light of God, the love of God. Our natural response, even if you know him, is often something that's just natural. Anger is just energy. In your anger, don't sin. But he makes another statement here. He says, when you are on your beds, search your hearts. And then he makes a really interesting thing. And be silent. Let the winter storm of God's love and his voice fall gently on your heart. going to be one of the critical ingredients that I want to talk about in a few moments. What happens next, though, is interesting. He says, in your anger, do you not sin when you're on your bed, search your heart, basically turn to God, then talk to God about what's going on. Bring your fear and your stress to God and have a conversation. Quit running around to other people and start Just running to God and start talking to him about it. Philippians 4 says, don't be stressed about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, and with an attitude of thanksgiving, just bring those things, those situations, those requests that you have in your heart to God. And James tells us that, you know what, guess what? When you go through trials of all kinds... It's going to do something in you. It's going to produce faith. You're going to start to strengthen that muscle of faith in God himself in the situation you're in. So when you go through these things, don't be surprised, he says. But when you do it, also know this. If you're lacking wisdom, you're lacking strength, you're lacking understanding, you're in a place where you need. He will give to you liberally, generously, without fault. He doesn't even get angry. He's not even mad or blaming you that you moved to a natural place of maybe self-pity he says just plug in turn to me and start to talk to me about it just be in conversation verse 19 and 20 joseph had to be wrestling in his heart with god about this problem tells us that he's a righteous person which in some ways you could say he's going to do what is right And he didn't want to cause her undue shame, so in his mind he came up with what would be a reasonable solution. I'll just quietly kind of, you know, divorce her, you know, get the parents, we'll get it, And, and they'll come up with, you know, I can imagine, we'll come up with some reason why. And obviously in about seven, six months, people will know why. And he must have been on his bed searching his heart in conversational prayer with God. Not necessarily this kind of what we can kind of do this one and done and then we go on and talk to others or we try and just get buckled up and he, he actually continues to wrestle with God. He prays to begin and again. Guess what? Some of the things that you face, some of the things that, that may come into your life may not just go away with one prayer. You may wrestle with it for a period of time. Verse 20 tells us that and kind it of gives us picture of him wrestling with it as he falls asleep. You ever done that before? And your mind is just going over and over. You know what, i got to tell you something. What's been helpful for me when I do that is I, I. what's kind of calmed my heart is I will take a, a scripture and I'll just quote it over and over again. Like I'll, I'll take Psalm 34, it's my favorite. And I'll just, you know, I'll extol the Lord in all times. His praise will always be in my lips. My soul boasts in the Lord. Um, and and just goes on, and, 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 and I just, I'll just just say that over and over. And, and it's not easy to keep drawing your mind back, but he's wrestling with him. And he, he it says, the text says, after he had actually come up with the plan, he's been wrestling with him, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. Joseph turns to God, talks to him, wrestles with God in that situation. He goes to God because he knows that God will be a God who will give him a wisdom and an answer. And he does give him an answer. But yet he still allows him to go through this faith-building, character-developing exercises. Because God hears. And he's teaching you that he will answer. And he assured Joseph that Mary and what she said was true. First, he just says to him, you know what, thank you, you've plugged into me, we're talking. So here's one of the things that I want you to do is keep plugged in, keep talking, trust me. And, and don't allow... Fear to bring us short into our relationship. So don't be afraid. That's the first thing he says. Don't be afraid. But I am afraid. You ever have that? He says don't be afraid. This child is through the Holy Spirit. He tells him. This is all part of my greater plan. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. So basically trust and I will work through this. Stand back and be amazed. In your situation, turn to God, talk to God, and then trust by obeying Him, as He begins to kind of reveal to your heart what it is that He's calling you to do. It may be just to be silent. It may be to be still. I love how simply this story ends in verse twenty-four and twenty-five. It, it, it just it shows this Joseph trusting God and being obedient. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angels said of uh, the angels said of the Lord. Uh, the angel had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He, he just woke up and did what God said. His obedience was immediate. There wasn't a bargaining about, but God, look what's going to happen. If I have to do this, you know, people are going to see me in this way. They're going to think I, you know what, it's going to smear my righteous reputation. I got to tell you, as you follow Jesus, there's going to be so many times in your life, people won't understand the obedience you're carrying out. And I have to say sometimes the worst can be believers and their judgment. And so he, he steps into this courageously. Not waiting for this feeling. Well, you know, when I feel like it's right, God, then I'll do it. He just, he, it's like standing at the edge of a pool. You ever stood at the edge of the pool and, and it's cold and you know you got to jump in, but you don't want to jump in. If you were to wait till you felt like jumping in, it would never happen. What do you do? You just jump. And that's exactly what you see in this picture of Joseph. He goes, you know what, God, I'm going to do what you said. He just jumps in, in obedience. And when he does that, he connects himself to God and he is in a connected place with Mary. Can you imagine as he comes back to Mary, have you ever thought of what Mary was feeling? Here comes Joseph. He comes back to Mary. He goes, Mary, I had a dream too. She's going, yes. Now she's going, I hope it was a good, it was hope. I hope it's not to reject me. And an angel came to me and I am gonna be with you, I'm standing with you, we're gonna do this together. Can you imagine how she'd been wrestling? She comes to him and she's expecting possibly to be rejected. She has no idea. Scripture doesn't say she's gonna carry this with another person. I just, you know, I was going through this and I, I just have to say this, men, your wives in some ways are maybe waiting for you to be obedient. In their hearts, it could be like Mary, just going, oh, praise God. You may come to her and say, you know what? I chose to do this. Wow. I bet you Mary's going, wow, I'm glad. I'm glad this guy's my husband. Oh, I'm glad I'm married to him. Wouldn't you love to hear that, man? you're married Joseph woke up and did more than what even God seems to ask in some ways in Matthew 1.25 it says but he had no union he did not consummate that relationship till Jesus was born that's a pretty amazing thing He was not only engaged in that place that was binding, but he actually was married and he did not consummate that until Jesus was born. And then he goes and he gives him a name that, not, not his name, he didn't give him Joseph, but gave him the name Yeshua, which means God saves. Here's the thing, you can turn to God and you can talk to God, but if you do not trust God through obedience, you're going to be living with a short in your life because fear is going to come in, anxiety is going to come in. And we're talking about Christmas light. And Christmas light means being in a relationship where you're connected to God. And you need to have those opportunities to do that. So I'm just going to take a few moments and just practically share with you as we're December 2nd today and I know we're already down the road and you've already made plans But I want to tell you, if you want to be recharged on a regular basis and connected to God so that you're living in the experience of his love, and no one's going to do this well, you're going to have these things, you're going to have these breaks, you're going to have these cuts in your cord in the sense of that love, but what God has called us to be is lights to the world around us. And so if you're going to actually be a light to the family that may be visiting you, or the family that you live with, or to the people that you work with, or those of you that you go to school with, if you're going to actually be a light, you need to be connected to the light of God. And it isn't going to happen if you just get you know, just caught up in the busyness and the rush of everything. You will need those times like a gentle storm where the voice of God will come. My guess is the gentle voice of God, even in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the stress, in the midst of the fear, is falling. But you may not even recognize it and see it unless you become quiet and still. And so the very first thing is just you need to schedule some times of stillness with God. You just, you need to take your calendar, get together with one another and, and just start looking at your calendar and going, you know what, I need some stillness with God. So often the external pressures are only going to be met well by a corresponding what I call internal pressure. The power that might be coming against you no matter what it is to cause you to shrink back in fear, to be afraid, can only be I believe, change, not by something outside, but something coming from within. It's by turning to God, talking to God, and then trusting and through obedience, you listen and do what God says, but you need to have time to do that. says in his word, God is the light in him. There is no darkness at all. Isn't that amazing? Not a bit of darkness. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater. There is a greater pressure, a greater power, a greater connection than the one who is in the world. There's an article in um, Relevant Magazine, and it fits with what Psalm 4.4 says, be silent. You go into another one in Psalm 46, it says, be still and know that I'm God. There's this idea of silence and stillness and solitude that is so important to our life. I love what it says, practice stillness. Stillness will help you loosen your grip on doing the ceaseless activity so you can be with God, so that you can enter back into the activity. In silence, you connect with what's going on in your own heart, and you learn to rest in who you most fully are. You learn that you don't have to prove your value or perform for God. It doesn't matter if the dinner you're making isn't just right. Honestly, do your best on the gifts you buy, guys, but you're probably going to miss it. Being alone in the presence of Christ will help you to trust it because God is near. Grace is always available. As you sit in silence, just being quiet before God brings clarity to your overactive mind, which is constantly on the prowl for solutions. Resting in stillness gives you permission to take a break from all the inner frustration, the exhaustion, and resentment. It may feel impossible, but freedom found in stillness will recharge your soul. Recharge by scheduling time for stillness and silence. When you are literally silent, no podcasts, webinars, music allowed, you'll be able to hear God whisper how much he loves you and cares for you. And you'll hear the truth about who you are and how God provides for you. Practice stillness. It gives you time to be vulnerable with God about your struggles and weaknesses. And in the stillness, in the silence, when you're alone, in solitude, God sees you. Remember, God sees you and your life very much matters to you. And he's placed you where you are for a reason. Because he wants to flood your life with his light so that you can bring that light to others. Jesus said you're the light of the world. I kind of put a Meyer paraphrase together on this. Matthew five fourteen sixteen 16 says, You're here to be light, shining God's love in this world of darkness. God is not a secret to be kept, nor his love to be hidden from others. Let's go public with this, says Jesus. As visible as the lights of the city at night, Jesus says, if I make you light peerers, you don't think I'm going to hide you in a closet, do you? I'm making you like street lights throughout your community. And now that I've put you there in your specific neighborhood, where you work, where you go to school, shine. Open your heart and be generous with your lives. Because by opening up and loving others, you'll prompt people to be open up with God to our Father and his heaven's generous love. That's what Jesus says. There's two other things that I'm not going to spend time on but just want you to think about. You need to also, not only do you need to schedule in those times of solitude and silence, you need to create a calendar of realistic expectations. You may need to go through your calendar and if you take 10 of them, you may need to say, even if you said one, maybe we won't do this one because this week is so crowded because part of creating a a realistic calendar is is your pace. If you think you're going to get all your gifts on December 22nd without stress, you're in trouble. Some of it is pace, right? And while you have your calendar out look at all the things that you 've put in place. And what I want you to remember too, is when you take your calendar, don 't be put in church at nine or ten with regard to taking time with, with God, even in this community. You, you know what it says, it, and, and god 's big list of ten laws, number four is, is Sabbath, is quiet, is spending time and worshiping Him. And then prepare for your potential stress points. And one of the great things to do is look at your calendar and go, okay, here could be a stress point. And if you're married, sit down and say, how can we at least have a plan towards this? My wife is, not, is, is incredibly good at this kind of stuff. And she'll kind of come with me and, 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 um, and kind of say, let's just look at this and how do we do this and what are some things we can do to do this well? You know, at Christmas usually this year we won't, we usually have my family, my, my sister and her, all her tribe come in and, and there's twelve of them and we have two and a half bathrooms and it's just packed and, and, and we gotta, gotta go, could we, maybe I, you know, these are the hard conversations sometimes with family. We could do about three nights. And and then you start saying, you know what, we, I'm talking about these guys in our, in, in my family, they're like, 20 plus and they're big and they're you know and you get them in a room so you gotta start saying what could we do to get them outside in <laughs> and activities and, and then you start thinking about you know what we can't prepare every meal because how much do you think I'm in this even aware of this So you can look at these things and you go, God, I want to schedule some silence and some quiet because I I want to be able to to be in those moments when you come like that quiet storm and and, and in that, that winter storm and you come in and you speak to my heart. I want to be silent. I want to hear you. And then not only, God, I want to be able to be realistic about what's going to happen this Christmas and through this holiday season. And God, I also want to make sure that as I look at these things with people that I love that we can kind of say, hey, here may be a fear stress point. Is there something that we may need to do about this? It's real practical. God says Christmas light because the way you need to recharge is to kind of do what Joseph did. He got by himself, got quiet, turned to God, talked with him, wrestled with it, trusted God, and then obeyed. You can do the turn and you can do the talk, but if you don't do the next step of obeying... You will not see God do all he did. You know what? If, if, if Joseph stopped there, he would have missed the joy of all that was going to come. He went through some very difficult days, obviously. Running with his family to Egypt and back, but every time God kept leading him. Some of you may be at that point right now in your life around, around this whole thing. Trusting means obedience. Obedience. One of my favorite illustrations, I've given it before and I just want to encourage you with it again, is, is so often in our life, early in our life, we see God do things for us. We trust him. And it's like, it's like Moses leading all the children, they're scared to death, they're coming up to this big sea, he raises a staff and what happens? Water parts. They go for 40 years wandering around, they come to the Jordan, they come to the Jordan, what happens? Joshua does not raise a staff. God tells Joshua, put the leaders who who have learned how to trust and obey me and put them in front. And guess what? When they get ankle deep, then the water parts. Some of you have been waiting and God's saying, and not till you obey where he's bringing conviction. Will you begin to experience his love? Will he begin to start working on the fear or whatever else is going on in your life? And God's saying, step into it. I'm going to ask you to pray, and we're going to just um, move into this caring fund. And the ushers, if you would come forward as I pray, and we're going to take this offering, and we do this this time of year, uh, whenever we take communion, in order to give gifts to those who are in a place of need. So if the ushers would come forward, let's pray. Father, we take these gifts that you have given us and return them to you. We also would ask God that we would be a gift of light. To those around us. Are there some things that we can reduce to cut out. That can allow for you to have space in our life. Elbow room to work. Just enough where you can begin to move. Where we can trust you. And we can be the light. To the world around us. We give you thanks. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.